0: couple years before we ever raised the fund and he sits on the board of an institution back east and through a you know we we did a lot of things to try to help give him feedback because he wanted to create a similar type program at his school and so we tried to be really helpful through all of that and just over time kind of trying to add value to that relationship he ended up investing in our fund right so that's an example another example is our very first investment was in lyft
1: on the show, we've got Peter Harris, founding partner at U Growth Fund. Peter, thanks for making time. Thanks for having me. So for people who aren't familiar with the fund or, or don't know about your background, can you give us a
0: 30 second ele- elevator pitch on each? Sure. So uh, University Growth Fund we started a little over four years ago. We're kind of a unique venture fund. so it's a, it's a 32 million dollar fund. Uh, Our investors include a lot of large uh, institutions like American Express, Ally Bank, and and as well as high net worth individuals. And on that side of the the fund, we make growth stage investments. So as early as your first institutional round, all the way up to pre-IPO, and our investments cover a pretty broad range of uh, sectors and stages and industries. Everything from uh, Spotify and Snapchat on one side uh, to really early stage startups and enterprise software and fintech on the other side. Uh, so that's one side of the the fund. And then the other side of the fund is the university piece. So we're not part of a university, nor do we fund university startups. Uh, instead, we have 30 to 40 students from various universities in Utah and also in San Diego, where we have a satellite office. Those students, we put them through a rigorous training program, but then ultimately we kind of turn the reins over to them. They do all the due diligence on our deals. They play a key role in making investment decisions and then post-investment Uh, they help our portfolio companies with a variety of different projects. Um, you know, when I meet with an entrepreneur, usually they're trying to get a hundred things done. We're really good at helping not with the top 50 items, but like the bottom 50 items. Um, you know, where, where it'd be nice to be able to throw some stuff at a team of really smart, you know, bright students to crank on it for you. Uh, so that's a little bit about our fund. Uh, myself. I grew up in upstate New York, came out to Utah to go to school. Uh, Always been kind of an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, I got involved with a predecessor fund to this called the University Venture Fund as a student. Uh, Eventually came on full time, ran that fund for about eight years altogether. And then my partner and I spun out of that fund to launch this one um, a little four to five years ago. And uh, I've been having a blast ever since.
1: That's fun. You know, with the show Innovation and Leadership, just a title like that, what's the first things that come to mind? I mean, your world needs so much of both of those things.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really deep, interesting, broad question. Um, Innovation and leadership. So, you know, there are so many different ways that you could look at that, right? So in our industry... You know, we think about, like, one area where our industry, in particular, venture capital needs leadership, is improving diversity, right? And so, uh, even though I'm not, you know, very diverse, uh, being a white male, we do a lot of things to try to improve diversity in our industry. So, we have... we. We do a lot of events to try to attract women to the to the field. We do different case competitions and other things to kind of broaden the message of what venture capital is and how it works. And in terms of just trying to get people to think beyond just it's hardcore finance, but really it's a lot more than that, right? You, you're kind of predicting the future, and you're understanding how people buy things and sell things, and how business models are structured and how markets ebb and flow and mature and develop and change and so um you know what we found is that when you can expose more people to those types of uh attributes about the industry a lot more people are interested right and i think you know shows like shark tank have definitely kind of helped bridge a little bit of that but uh, you know we're trying to do it in a little more structured environment for education purposes and you know, and trying to trying to be different. You know, the other thing with innovation that's interesting, at least from how we pr- approach it as a fund, is, you know, you want to be different, but you also want to be you want to be kind of be pushing the envelope of what's possible, right? And you know, if you think about venture capital in general, you know, there's never been a better time to start a company, and the reason for that is because there's just so much capital uh, available um so many funds have raised so much money and what's ended up happening is because the internet has really democratized a lot of things and it's easier now or easier now than ever before for investors to invest in startups outside of where they're located um capital is becoming more and more fungible, and it's harder to determine, like, is this fund going to do anything better for me than another fund? And it's more and more important to have something unique about you, right? And so, you know, that's another thing that we think about as we're raising this next fund is, one, you know, we feel like we are pretty unique given our student structure, but how can we further expand that and add more value to the entrepreneurs we work with and be a unique value-added partner um, beyond just, you know, the capital piece of what we do.
2: Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, um, is as you look at, or as I was looking through who you guys have invested in, you've invested in a lot of great companies. You've made a lot of really smart investments that proved to be, uh, very, um, profitable hopefully <laughs> down the road. Uh, but yeah, how do you, when you go through, uh, the due diligence process, what do you think is different about your process? What are some of those key things that you look for uh, when an entrepreneur is coming in and pitching? Is there anything that stands out, something that's that's a little bit different that you try and look for and, and try to use to make that decision of who's going to be the right group long-term?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting question. So we... Uh, you know, when you at the beginning of your question, it reminded me of a conversation I had with one of our portfolio companies CEOs as we were going through the process. And, and the whole time, he was like, "Wow, you guys really ask your students ask really good questions." And um, at the end, and we had this conversation about you know why that is, and he he was like, "Look, you guys, unlike most venture capital funds and most investors, you approach everything from this this idea of first principles." you force your students to learn everything from the ground up and not make any assumptions, uh, which really students can't really make assumptions because they don't have the experience, right? And they don't have any of these, bi- they don't bring any of these biases necessarily. And, and to the extent they have any, a lot of our training is actually beating it back out of them. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is just really understanding business models, how they work, how they function, um, and understanding industries and kind of those power dynamics that exist within a given deal. So I think that's one thing that, that we do well. And then the other, the other thing is we... Um, I, um, can you repeat the question? yeah so I'm sorry no no, no you're, <laughs> you're fine have to edit and actually
2: yeah this is my headache coming back <laughs> no, no, you're good uh, so as you look at um, as you look at an entrepreneur as you're interviewing them are there any things that you're kind of highlighting or focusing on that stand out for you um, no, whether it's it. team dynamics or yeah so
0: one of the things that there's a few things that i look for in every deal so one is i want to understand the pain point like viscerally like i want to like feel it if that makes sense and i meet with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of the times it's hard to like really feel what that pain point is and clearly like there there must be a pain point because these people have dedicated their lives to it but it, i need to be able to like feel that right and then i need to be able to feel that like their solution is the right solution to that pain point, right? And then just because you have identified a pain point and you have a solution you think is going to work really well, like how are you going to then do it in such a way that nobody else can kind of copy you, right? Uh, Which then relates to like can you – one, if I'm solving a major pain point, I'm creating a lot of value, right? But I still have to be able to capture that value, um and the only way i can really capture the majority of that value is if i can create some sort of remote right some sort of barrier from other people stealing away my margin essentially at the end of the day so those are generally like the things we look for uh we're, we're a co-investment firm too so we don't lead rounds um we try to partner with other great uh venture funds and, and invest alongside them and so you know, investing alongside really great investors and partners is also super important to us, right? Because we're kind of dependent on them um, as a smaller investor, writing alongside them. Uh, so it's also pretty important to us.
2: Yeah. And, um kind of going back to what you were saying with those first principles, it's interesting that, that you kind of talk about these key, like, pain, problem, uh, solution um, as you look at that with a, with, a uh, with an entrepreneur, are there anything times where that maybe feels right, but that you decide not to go through with it, or where maybe that's still a little fuzzy and you decide to invest for other reasons? Are are there any th- times you've had or experiences you've had where you've you've made an exception to that and it's worked out, or maybe not worked out, uh, that you can think of?
0: So you know i would say more often than not i want to invest in every company that i meet right um it's probably part probably part of the reason that i have a healthy addiction on kickstarter um because it's an opportunity for me to kick a little bit of money into a company without having to make the commitment as a fund right an equity investor uh usually what ends up killing deals for us is if you've got a great pain point that you are solving and we believe you're solving in the right way and there we can envision how over time you will build some sort of barrier to entry. The things that ultimately kill it at that point are you may not be the right team to do it. Right. Uh, So it might be this like team problem fit issue uh, or it might just be too early for us. So we look at a lot of stuff that's just ultimately too early that we're super excited about. We want to see it succeed, but at the end of the day, we're not a seed fund, you know, we don't make bets that early and so you know we'll sit and watch uh, and see how things develop and you know frankly like we've missed out on some really great companies that you know we passed on in the very early stage because it was just too early for us and then it just kind of got away from us before we could catch it Um, but you know the flip side is like I've made some exceptions and we've done some early stage seed investing and it's really risky and it doesn't always pan out Uh, and so that's why we try to stick to our strategy of, of kind of investing when a company has really proven that, that that they are solving the pain point in a meaningful way. And usually that's demonstrated by doing kind of in the range of one to two million dollars in revenue, right? Really establishing that product market fit before we get involved. So
1: um I kinda wanna go the other direction now. That's for investors uh, sorry that's for uh, companies seeking investment from you what about the other direction you know for folks who are looking to raise a fund what uh, what kind of principles have you learned from from your experience
0: yeah so you know i i like to joke that raising a fund is is really challenging because you're basically going to individuals and saying hey give me your money i will do a better job investing it than you will I don't know what I'm gonna invest it in yet, but it's probably gonna be like some crazy early stage stuff that like any normal person would look at and and think is just a crazy idea. Um, but you know, trust me, like it's gonna pan out great, right? Um, and so as we went through the fund fundraising process, like I was really nervous because basically we were, we were spinning out of University Venture Fund and launching this brand new fund and i had no idea if it was going to work i i bought a house right and when we left and like literally like the the documents you know like like i i had one job at one firm when i started the the loan paperwork and i had a job at another firm when it ended and uh and so i was like super stressed uh of whether or not this was going to end up working and so we went through the process and I think the thing that stood out to me the most is because there's so much trust involved, you really have to have great relationships. And so when we looked at, or when we would meet with investors, the ones that we had the deepest relationships with were the fastest to to make commitments. And not only that, but then we leveraged their relationships to bring in other investors, uh, both on the institution side, So we had an investor on the institution side that helped us put on a lunch and we invested and we invited a bunch of other institutions that were just like them, that they were their friends basically to this lunch and gave them the pitch. And then there was all this like social, you know, proof and feedback uh, that was really helpful. Uh, And then on the individual side, it was the same thing. So, you know, we reached out to a lot of the individuals that knew us and knew us best and uh, got them on board and then leveraged them to bring in kind of friends and family and um, and I think really that's that's the way you have to do it until you've got, I don't know, probably two, three, four funds under your belt, or you're a big name like Mark Andreessen, right? And you can just pick up the phone and call your friends and fill out around, fill out a full fund and over a phone call. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're finishing our first fund. You know, we've been fortunate enough to make a handful of great investments that we're super excited about, um, and had some great uh, liquidity already. And we're going out to raise our second fund, and you know, our hope is that over time we can establish that track record. So hopefully, it gets easier, and we can bring in uh, new people. But you know, you're always fundraising as a as a fund manager, you know, just like being an entrepreneur at the end of the day. And uh, it it's turned out to be a lot more relationship driven than I would have anticipated, rather than core hard returns and numbers and those kinds of things.
1: W- when you think about that. Um you know, you get a you get a relationship started maybe through a friend or, or someone you know in common, but then you still need to build that relationship. What are some of the principles for, for you when you're starting a new relationship with someone that you're hoping to have, you know, have them be a long-term LP?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, I think a lot of it is engaging with them, adding value to what they're doing, keeping them abreast of what you're up to, and creating opportunities for them to get involved. So, I'll give you an example. We have one LP that we met with before, you know, a couple of years before we ever raised the fund. And he sits on the board of an institution back east. And through a, you know, we, we did a lot of things to try to help give him feedback because he wanted to create a similar type program at his school. And so we tried to be really helpful through all of that. And just over time, kind of trying to add value to that relationship, he ended up investing in our fund, right? So that's an example. Another example is our very first investment was in Lyft. And at the time we had a little bit of extra allocation. So we reached out to all the people in our network that we liked and, and gave them the opportunity to invest um, alongside us in that deal. And, and, I think most of them ended up coming into the fund ultimately. Right. So just kind of giving opportunities and, and showing, showing those people like, Hey, yeah, not only are we like great people, but we also have great access to great deals and, and, you know, we're willing to share without, you know, charging any sort of fees or anything like that to build that relationship. So.
2: That's awesome. Um, as you work with startups, what do you think is, uh, the biggest challenge most startups are facing? Um, especially maybe something that most people who haven't been an entrepreneur may be surprised by. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so specific to the company, but I think the biggest challenges that I've seen is that marketing is really hard and closely tied to that. In my opinion is getting like really great people on board. Um, I think it's hard to find people that that know what they're doing, and especially in kind of on the marketing side of things, right? Um, I think if we were to ask most of our portfolio companies at this point, especially today, they wouldn't say like raising capital is the hardest thing. They'd say like finding rock stars, you know, to bring on the team it is one
2: of the hardest things. Why do you think kind of both of those issues? Why do you think those are such big challenges, especially for startups? Is it uh, just the landscape? I'd just be curious to hear what your thoughts are on why that's such an obstacle for most companies.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, right now, if you think about it, the economy has been doing so well for so long. Unemployment's like super low, and so, and, and there are a lot of great opportunities out there. So, you know, opportunity cost is really high for you know for somebody that's really good in order to bring them on uh, and they can make a lot of money at a bigger firms, right? So you have to be able to make kind of a, a strong pitch across a variety of different, uh, metrics, whether it's like culture and pay and, uh, you know, future potential and learning and growth. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is, is that things change so fast, right? And so, you could have been like the world's greatest marketer five years ago, and like a lot of those same skills aren't really relevant anymore, right? Uh, certainly, some are, but but a lot aren't. And so, if you're not constantly like growing and innovating and learning and pivoting, right, yourself, like it's hard to keep up. Uh, and so, you know, for example, in the last couple of years, you, know, you guys have probably seen this: like paid socials, really tough, really expensive, right? Uh, in order, compared to what it used to be like, right? It used to be like, you just throw up a web, you know, (laughs) throw up some ads and like, boom, you're good. Uh, And we're seeing across our entire portfolio, like a lot of our companies have had to pivot their their social strategy because that doesn't work anymore, right? Uh, For example, you know, there's a company we're looking at right now in the consumer uh, product space that had a ton of success around influencers and paid social. Uh, And, you know, in the last year or so, that's kind of, struggled for them and so they made a very conscious move to to go back into retail which was never part of the plan right but what they're finding is retail is a really good place to actually educate customers right and and in of itself is good marketing for for their particular case um so yeah so i think those are like some of the big the big reasons why why those two things are a pretty big challenge
2: yeah that's something we personally i'm very passionate about is that space of of how to continually innovate as you look at kind of the past couple years where uh, we've even seen that shift from uh, three years ago, four years ago, if you were going into Facebook ads or social ads, you were being an innovator. And now people are jumping into it and expecting that same return. It's just not there because now everyone is there. Yep. Um, what do you think are some of the new spaces or are there ways you're helping your portfolio companies start to think about, hey, that's no longer a blue ocean. So you need to look elsewhere. Is there something that you try to help them see a new strategy or is there something some emerging strategy that you're excited about coming uh like retail for that one group is there something else that you're seeing in the space
0: Yeah so I think like one of the things that we've noticed is really important uh especially if you're the demographic you're selling to is millennials is creating some sort of experience around whatever it is you're marketing so that could be through through a, a retail-like experience, that could be that through pop-up stores, that could be through video, that could be through having a really personalized, customized um, drip campaign that makes them feel like you actually care about them and know them in their particular uh, circumstances. Uh, and so like you know, we look and, and encourage our, our companies to, to pursue those types of strategies because we think at the end of the day, uh, consumers, especially millennials, want to have this like personal connection with the brands that they buy from. Right? Uh, they want to when they buy that product, they want it to, ha- it to bring an experience with them. Right? And uh, I mean, this is kind of top of mind because this cons- the same consumer products company. The product they sell, the customers um, that buy from them report back that like one of the reasons they love the product is they feel like they're on a vacation when when they're using it right it's it's again it's that experience and and yeah it's a great product and yeah it's got great packaging and great marketing but at the end of the day like it's that experience that they're after right um and so it's just trying to figure out like what's the right way to to package that experience given the brand or the company that you're you're trying to push right i love
1: it i think it's a great place to end part one everybody uh tune back in for part two with peter thanks